G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You know it's not unusual for us to talk about 2020 vision, especially on a program like this called 2020, where we've been looking to bring a clarity to life, culture and current events. Well, the idea that when things get blurry, when the colours are not so bright or you can't see things into the distance quite so clearly, that doesn't distract us from the idea that things can be brought back into a crystal clear focus. Seeing clearly is a welcome blessing for Christians. Getting a biblical God's eye view of developing issues has been a tremendous benefit for all of us. So with change happening so quickly the year ahead may look a little blurry to some of us. So a conversation today about making the year ahead, 2020, a year of corrective vision. Well, our special guest today, pastor and author Andy Elms, is from the UK. Andy, with his wife Gina, senior pastors at Family Church, a multi-congregational church located around Portsmouth on the south coast of England. Well, he has a high profile on... UCB in the UK, that's our sister organisation, United Christian Broadcasters in the UK, and has a TV series on TBN in the UK. Andy Elms, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to be with you. Andy, let's start with a little bit of an update. Oftentimes I like to check the pulse of nations when I have people from all over the world come and sit in that very spot that you are. If we're talking about churches in the UK, how do you describe how things are developing? And of course, you know, you've had Brexit, you've got post-Brexit, you've got what the opportunities are, what the threats are. How do you describe churches in the UK today? I really believe that a church in the UK is in a really good place. Obviously, we've got years of um, religion uh, behind us as a country being quite an old country but there's a freshness i believe in the uk uh, where people are more spiritually inclined and they want the genuine real answers to spiritual questions that people obviously outside of a church are talking more holistically about their you know their body soul and spirit and uh, i think this is a really good opportunity where we can say hey we understand the reality of the spirit and and new birth and being joined back to god I believe in the UK there's a genuineness where people don't want baloney or made-up stuff, but they are asking honest questions from honest hearts. A lot of things that I hear out of the UK are stories of just how tough it is for people in education uh, or in even Christian ministry uh, to be very open with their faith. A very secularised society wants to shut down the opinion of the church. Do you find that's gripping more and more? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, when God's going to break out, um, everything's going to try to work against that happening. So the voice within the church or the voice of the church is definitely getting more and more, they're trying to restrict it as in, you know, freedom of speech, what we say, how we say it, where we say it. Um, You know, but to me, that that should cause us to not speak weaker, but to just say, no, come on, we're going to take a stand for the things we believe, not take a stand for stuff that doesn't matter 
or it's just sideshows. But to really take a stand and say, no, this is this is what we pledge our lives to. This is what we believe. So it's true, Neil, um, especially, yeah, in different uh, scenarios of life within England. They're certainly giving a lot of rights to other faiths outside of uh, the Christian faith and also trying to control what is allowed to be said and I believe that's quite general across the world as well. There's a real polarization, isn't there? There's this truth that we understand as Christian believers, and there's a developing untruth scenario that is developing in so many dimensions of our society, whether you talk about uh, other religions or whether you talk about some of the developments uh, politically and uh, socially and uh, gender issues and all sorts of things like that. There's a lot of unclarity there's a lot of blurriness that's there and somehow rather we've got to navigate our way through those things it's it's philosophy isn't it people love philosophy and i always say that you don't need to go to school to be a philosopher everyone's a philosopher because philosophy simply means feel over love of sophia wisdom or knowledge and the question isn't are we all philosophers it's where are we getting the wisdom that we're loving and so i think that's where we need to as a church present the wisdom of god as true wisdom, life-changing wisdom, and it will then be a replacement for secondary wisdom that isn't really wisdom in comparison at all. But people in this generation are thinkers. They're relational. Um, you know, I question some of our approaches to evangelism these days that may have worked well in previous years. This this time that we're in, people are a lot more relational. They want to talk. They want to sit with you. They want to ask questions. We need to know who we believe in and what we believe so that we can have really good um, conversations that lead people to a personal relationship with Jesus. Interesting. There's a nice little analogy, the idea of a God's eye view of what's real and an ant's eye view of what's real. So you sort of take this big picture, uh, knowing the the creator God and uh, the ant, yeah. uh, which is smaller than us, but each one looking at humanity and has a different perspective. So uh, you get a choice yeah. in some sense here. You get to choose sides. Yeah. And uh, I guess our role uh, would be to help people to choose the side that, that takes a God's eye view. Yeah, present the view of a creator. And one of the things I, I always uh, – I did it recently when I was talking to some business leaders on Saturday. I said, if you get your forefinger – and look down on it and move it counterclockwise. It's an it's amazing you see it going counterclockwise. But if you move it then above your head and look up, without changing what you're doing, it moves from anticlockwise to clockwise. It's almost like, is that witchcraft? No, no, it's just perspective. If you look at it, everybody's at home now. I know all the listeners are like in their cars. But if you look down <laughs> on a finger going clockwise and lift it and then look up, it's and nothing changed except for perspective. And I think that's it, isn't it? We look at our lives one way, but God wants us to look at it his way. Okay, let's do this exercise together. So you're saying uh, use don't use your middle finger, Not especially the middle if one. you're that's driving. Wrong, Neil. That, is, that is wrong. <laughs> if you're driving, exactly. Yeah. Just uh, check who's around you before you try this exercise. Preferable so, the forefinger. <laughs> okay, so you're using your forefinger. Yep. You're just uh, if you look down anti- on it and move down. it anti-clockwise, anticlockwise. All right, it's going anticlockwise. It no is. surprises. Mm-hmm. But Let if you keep moving up. your finger and lift it high, and now look, 
That's it. Yes, yes, yes. It's going the other way. Clockwise. Okay, so a really great way to illustrate a change a in thinking. Yeah. Now, we've got a question that listeners are being invited to respond to on our Facebook page. The Facebook question says, who needs to have distorted vision corrected the most? Is it the Christians or the non-Christians? Uh, and this is an interesting one because oftentimes on a program like this called 2020, we're talking about having a clear vision for the Christians. Uh, what are your thoughts on our question today? If you're, uh, if you're not necessarily giving us an answer to that question at this point, we might come to that a little later. But if you're assessing the way the question might be, what are your thoughts here, Andy? Yeah, I think it's a good question. The show's called, you know, it's about 2020. And I think the answer to that would be probably 50-50. But there's um, a real need for people to understand what a relationship, you know, those that don't yet have a relationship with the Lord, what a relationship with the Lord looks like correctly. Now you say, but that's what everybody's doing. No, no, some people are presenting religion, a religion about God, not a relationship with God. And that's a very, very different perspective. One will change your life and one will ruin it. You'll just go through the motions. But I think... It's 50-50 in that, yeah, we, we have been commissioned to take a message of redemption that presents God in a way that people will run to him. But I think we need to look at the vision that we're living behind in Christianity as Christians of do we understand that message? Do we understand the Great Commission? I mean, Jesus clearly said not to church leaders but to the whole church, go. You know, what is it about go we don't get? It's not a big word. Was it the G or the O that confused us? You know, our perspective of the need for us to be missional people and those things i think there needs to be a fresh look at that that we've become comfortably seated in many places instead of living the lifestyle of a christian you know there's difference between segregated experience of god where you limit your god part to something on sunday to just live in 24 7 a life that loves him, adores with him, and walks with him. So I think the answer to that to me would be 50 50 but there's always a need in the harvest field Jesus said that. But I think we need to get our vision corrected in the church of why we exist, why we're here, what the purpose of that God has for us is. Those are really honest questions that I think we want to need to answer. You're taking us in a very nice, deeper way here into what it is that we carry as Christian believers in this mission that Jesus said to go. Because for some who take a very apologetics-oriented Christian approach, uh, we're just out to win an argument. Our argument's better than your argument, therefore you should get on the side of God. But what you're taking us into is that it's not just about uh, who wins an argument, but it's who has a life that is worthy and who has a life that is valuable and who has a life that actually reflects what is real in our creator. So there's something deeper than just winning an argument Absolutely. in this mission we're in. I don't think Jesus, well, I know Jesus never called us to go and win an argument. He told us to go and win people. Um, and I think sometimes we need to understand that it's our, our lifestyle or the way we live out our life is our true message. But people are watching us, you know. Somebody once said that they may never read a Bible, but they read us. They watch us. They watch us in crisis. They watch us how we handle situations. And if there's nothing that's genuinely different about us, anything we say is going to be secondary. But when we live a life that, that lives to glorify the Father, again, everything about me, Neil, orbits around John 15. My very simple belief, him vine, me branch. 
Now, if that's the reality, because that's a great statement, but the true outworking of that is you'll see his fruit, his lifestyle, his love in and through my life. So I think we need to move away from a church that wants an argument to a church that wants to introduce people to a real and living God that will transform their lives. And so when we're talking about having a uh, restored vision, uh, restored from distortion to clarity, there's a certain sense in which you're seeing with different eyes here Mm. and uh, reflecting on what the Apostle Paul teaches uh, out of Ephesians chapter 1, where the eyes of the heart are enlightened Uh, The idea that when you are a Christian believer, when you are submitted to God, then you are going to see things differently. Uh, You aren't going to see just an argument. You're not going to see a physics type of argument. You're going to see a spiritual Mm. type of a dimension here that others who don't have this same clarity are yet to discover. Yeah, it rises and falls on, is it a religion or is it a relationship? It's like for me... Whenever I'm uh, with someone, it's not long before, very naturally, my wife and my five kids come into the conversation. I don't sit there going, oh, no, I better bring Gina into the conversation. There's a natural flow because of who she is to me. And I think that's how we should all be with Jesus. That It's only a matter of time before Jesus appears in our conversation, um, his church appears in our conversation, rather than the forced, almost like, all right, I told the pastor I'd do it. You know, that obligation. We need to raise up a missional people. 2020 vision is an interesting thought. And I think a lot of people, obviously, with a year being 2020 this year, are looking at a vision. Um, to me, when you go to an optician, it's amazing how you've, you think you've been seeing clearly and then the guy drops a lens in and you're like, oh, my goodness, where have I been living? Everything's sharp now. That's what I sense the Spirit of God is doing across his church, outside of denomination, because remember, there is no denomination in heaven. There's one group of people that are called the body of Christ. What matters is, is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? I think a lot of people are going to be going to heaven, where's the Baptist section, where's the Methodist section? And I'm going to say, we don't have an understanding of what you're going on about. There's one people that belong to God. Now, in that, God's bringing fresh vision. When you go to an optician, they they it's actually not perfect vision 2020 it's correct vision it's a corrected vision and they look at are you nearsighted farsighted and how well is your peripheral vision and i think those are good questions for us to look at church vision how's our nearsighted are we looking at the things we should be looking at correctly how's our farsighted and also are we aware of peripheral for me that's Am I going to stick my head in the sand and be busy with what God's doing through me and my ministry? Or am I going to realize, actually, I'm a part of a bigger kingdom that's made up of many different expressions and styles, yet there's one kingdom. And for us recently, we really felt the Lord say, join in with other things I'm doing in the United Kingdom. You don't have to lead them to join in, but celebrate, be a part of what I am doing through many expressions that obviously all put Christ first. Let's talk about perhaps uh, some practical issues here. The idea of nearsighted, farsighted and peripheral vision because uh, sometimes we're just thinking about how we might see more farsighted. And for people who love biblical prophecy, they uh, they feel as though they have a farsight. They know what's coming. Mm. They know what's, uh, you know, because of their interpretation of how they might see last days uh, from a biblical yeah. perspective. Uh, but nearsighted, important as well. And as you say, the peripheral 
peripheral vision, how we're understanding those things that go on around us. Where would you practically start to make Me. sure that you've got a starting point, which is a good solid starting point for getting a corrective vision happening? Well, if we would look just simply at the subcategory of missional living, missional living has to start with Jerusalem, which is nearsighted. But the moment you say Jerusalem, people are like, let me get a plane. I'm going to Israel. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. When he says, you know, first Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the earth. What he's saying is, hey, you have a local world before you lift your eyes to see far off places. Take responsibility for your friends and your neighbors. That world that's unique to you. Because look at us two now. We've both got, we're in the world, but we've got very unique worlds. Your friends, your neighbours are not my friends and neighbours. What if we all became nearsighted and said, let me take responsibility, not my pastor, not my church. Let me take responsibility for the people that are my Jerusalem. I think if we all did that, we would cause an effect further afield and even to the ends of the earth. So I think it's, let's look ahead because that's visionary, but let's not look ahead without seeing What's at hand in front of us? This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Join our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Andy Elms from the UK. And we're talking about having a clear vision of really seeing things that we perhaps run the risk of having as quite distorted in our own lives, but how do we clear those things up? Let's start with, uh, first of all, I'll just introduce a comment here from a listener, Lorraine, who says, some Christians see Christ as a bank manager. Others see a vision of Christ on the cross. Non-Christians have sometimes more of an understanding of empathy I personally, even myself and both sides, need to visualise the importance of the future after leaving this earth. Uh, a few thoughts in there from Lorraine, but uh, what do you think of uh, Lorraine's comment? Yeah, I think uh, we're, we're all works in progress, aren't we? We're, we're committed to the work of transformation, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in us and his word at work. Anyone that says, hey, I've arrived, they're lying to you. Um, and I think if we're yielding our lives to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, not on the meeting on Sunday, then the Lord introduced the Holy Spirit as the great teacher, the one who would lead us into all truth. Another way of putting that, he's the one that would lead us into correct seeing. Now, when we come in, we're pretty mixed up. We're pretty messed up. And if he did it all overnight, we'd blow up. So we enter a life of transforming work. But the Holy Spirit's got to be the one that's leading the way forward. This idea of a transformed mind that the Apostle Paul talks about, uh, Romans chapter 12, yep. uh, this is a work in progress. This is where we're all finding ourselves and all needing to go through a transformational process that happens perhaps for our whole lifetime, yep. not something that happens instantly, Andy. No, it's a transformation, but it's got to start. I love the book of Romans. I believe that, you know, Paul had visited all the other places, but Rome he hadn't. So he included within the book of Romans such detail of what the gospel was. And to understand Romans, you've got to read it as he was writing it. And to me, a lot of the problem is the transformation never starts correctly because people don't grasp Romans 6, which, you know, today there's a gospel of behavior modification that's preached in a lot of places how to be the best you. Well, according to Paul, the best you is a dead you. It starts with you finding death in Christ, burial in Christ, and resurrection to a new life. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're trying to modify something that God never wanted modified. 
I say it this way in church, until in Christ you've danced on the grave of the old you, you're not the new creation and you're not free indeed. So the moment you come, again, as Christians, we want to lead people straight to the life of God. Hey, new life, new life. But we don't. all we do is produce zombies now if we don't bring them through their death into the newness of life. In this life that there is in Christ, then a transformation begins, not a, not a modification. Religion brings modification. It shouts at us from the outside. But transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, addressing, changing, and making us into the person that God laid hold of us to be. And we're reminded of that, as you mentioned, Romans chapter 6, mm. where we understand what it is to go through the waters of baptism. Absolutely. Uh, that the old life dies and the new life is resurrected or lives in a resurrection post-dying to self. Uh, we're resurrected and we walk according to a different set of precepts. New creation we life. New creation. Seeing things from a different view. We're talking about a God's eye view. Mm. So every time we see a baptism, we're reminded that we get a new clarity about how things work by dying to self. If we're doing it through revelation, but some people, when they get water baptized, they get wet. That's it where they get wet because they've not been taught this represents the grave. So you've always, with the things of the kingdom, you've always got to apply faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So whether we approach any of those things that may have been called sacraments, whether we approach communion or, or baptism, we obviously believe in baptism by full immersion, you've got to apply faith to get out of that moment the divine grace of what God's placed in it. And so when we do baptism, we won't baptize someone unless they understand this isn't the ice bucket challenge. We're not getting you wet here. This represents the burial of the old you. You are not going to be living two lives anymore because baptism is a wonderful future thing. It gives you a point of reference to be free from condemnation when you can begin to respond. My old man was crucified with Christ it's no longer him that lives. It's Christ in me now. So I really believe we need fresh vision on things that the Lord left in the New Testament church. And right at the top of that list, water baptism. Okay, let's move on because there's a bunch of things we can discuss when we talk about bringing things into a new clarity, uh, you know, things that are blurry and bringing things into a new understanding and getting a God's eye view because sometimes we get all wrapped up in the denomination that we're a part of or the local church setting that we're in and, and those things are all good, but... There's a big picture here that God is doing, because when you talk about God and his mission, we're talking about something that's bigger than our local church setting. How do you get a right perspective, a right clarity when we talk about those sorts of things? We've got to understand, to me, that's a very simple answer. We need to understand the difference between church and kingdom. The word church is ecclesia. It means the people called out. Um, Basilia is the word for kingdom. And uh, when Jesus preached on the earth, he never preached the gospel of atonement. He was the gospel of atonement. It says that he went around from town and village preaching the good news of the kingdom, saying a new kingdom's at hand. Change the way you think. Come on into it. He never took that kingdom with him when he died. Otherwise, in Acts uh, 1 or so, it says, and he spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching his disciples the ways of a kingdom. You wouldn't spend that time teaching people about something you were taking with you. 
So we need to understand that church, remember, Jesus never told us to build the church. He said, I will build the church. But then he says the very next statement, I give you the keys of a kingdom. Love what Luke says. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom's like the red car, Neil. Once you see it, it's like when you get a red car and you think no one else has got one, you buy one. You see it everywhere. That's the kingdom, especially when you start hitting the book of Matthew. Jesus is just teaching what the kingdom is, kingdom life. So to answer that question, we need to move from just believing that everything that God is church, church is relative, kingdom is absolute, that every church in whatever expression it is, is an expression of something bigger than itself, which is a kingdom where Jesus is the king. Let's bring this into our very present current day and age, because a lot of people will say, well, Jesus brought the kingdom uh, but what's the kingdom doing today? Because uh, in my mind, uh, the kingdom has not ceased in its advance. And somehow or other, we can be locked into the idea that, you know, because we feel like we're under a little more pressure, uh, that somehow or other God has lost control of the kingdom. But uh, but the kingdom is still here and present today, and we are still advancing the kingdom, whether it's through our local church or whether it's through yeah. our local uh, parachurch organization or however yeah. we're serving. Uh, what are your thoughts on the present-day kingdom of God continuing to advance? I believe we're coming into kingdom days. I really do. I believe we're coming out of being... Remember, what did Jesus say? He said, seek first what? The kingdom and the righteousness, the ways of that kingdom. I think even as a pastor, sometimes I've been guilty of seeking first the building of a great church in, in the neighborhood that God's put me. Now, that's not wrong, but the church is only an expression of something bigger than itself. We're, and if we're going to walk in unity, we have to think kingdom. Otherwise, we get locked into style and variety. So to me, again, Hebrews says of the kingdom, it's an unshakable kingdom. Everything else in this life will be shaken, but his kingdom will not be shaken. We're a part of an unshakable kingdom. Now, we've got to begin to switch our minds from, I always say it this way, when I go to a church and minister, I say, listen, are you guys ready to hand in your church membership for something bigger, kingdom citizenship? Not that you'll suddenly do less or church will become anything less. I'm a local church man. But suddenly we walk with a consciousness outside of the doors that we're carriers of a kingdom and we want that kingdom to break out. When we pray kingdom come, what we often mean is, Lord, over there, millions of miles away in heaven, come and help me here. But the word come means the introduction and manifestation of something present. What if, Neil, we prayed in situations, Lord, let your kingdom that's present, not in buildings, but in me, break out of me to make a difference in the world you've placed me. What are your thoughts for that listener today who struggles to get along to church regularly? Uh, when they do, they sit in church, uh, they look their best, uh, and they receive whatever message is coming from the pastor who's preaching from the pulpit, and they have a church-eye view of things, but not necessarily what you're talking about, a kingdom-eye view of things, uh, taking that sort of big picture, what God is doing building his kingdom. How do you get from that person who's got an idea what the church is about, their local church, but they'd love to be able to take this to the next level? Where would you say you'd start to just lift out of that just church orientation to the kingdom approach. Everything starts with desire. Famous people have said desire is leverage. 
when a person comes, and I don't know how a person with the Holy Spirit in them doesn't get provoked to want more of God because come and taste and see the Lord is good. You want more. Now, I think we're in interesting days of, again, perspective where church is moving from an event type thing or an attractional type thing where the message is come and sit and watch us do what we do to it's time to awake the sleeping giant mobilize the seated saint i think the charismatic move was awesome probably a lot of the listeners listening remember the tail end of it but it had an error to it and the error in my opinion of a charismatic move was that it left many people in huge buildings watching a few people show their gifts on a stage the holy spirit's blowing across england and across australia and what he's doing is something fresh he's bringing the gifts and the power of god my revolutionary call was let's give the church back to jesus and the power back to the people you see the offices of ministry were there for the equipping of the saints for works of ministry not to show off like the greatest showman on a stage it wasn't queue up and watch me do my thing when people have an office of ministry The primary purpose is to equip the saints for lifestyle in that ministry. So we should all be evangelists. We should all be pastoring each other. We should all have a prophetic edge. So I think we're in interesting times where Jesus is taking his church back and he's bringing it in to his kingdom. Andy, let's do something pretty controversial here for a moment. Because here we are as Christian believers. Yep. We say we've got a clear vision because we're looking with a God's eye view. But there'll be listeners who are just bombarded in the news with the sorts of ethical issues that are gripping the nation. You know, what about this transgender issue? I mean, can you change genders? Uh, what about issues to do with the abortion issue? And we talk about these sorts of issues on this program often. I mean, when is a child... Uh, a child uh, right from conception or is it all right to abort babies at 28 weeks or at full term as is what's happening what about these issues like euthanasia and the challenging things that are gripping the nation things that are changing so rapidly so we're into really sort of practical stuff just for a few moments here before we move on but your thoughts on christians thinking clearly to navigate a way forward through this minefield of all sorts of ethical challenges yeah it's it's We've got to keep the word at the center, and obviously my beliefs on some of the things that you said would be absolute. What do I mean by absolute? I'm basing them on what the word of God says is actual, what God's view of it is. Now, that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I get that. But, you know, I believe that when I put my head on the pillow, I want to be true to what I believe the word of God through good interpretation has told me um, are the values of God. But also, it's often a subject of human being versus human doing, that some of the issues that are being fought over um, are with people that don't yet know Jesus because the change comes when his life becomes your life. Um, one of my favorite all-time verses I'm always preaching is John 15 because I believe in that is everything that the gospel offers a person, that they're broken off from one life or one nature and they're grafted into that which Adam first knew. Now, if you look at an apple tree, um, a branch never strives or struggles. It just yields and remains. And the life that's in the vine becomes the life that's in the branch and produces the fruit that glorifies the tree. In the same way, um, we've seen many, many different people come to our congregations who would be struggling or thinking, rethinking things that would be current trends that would be de- defined as normal. Speaking of transgender, certain issues where we've learned that we're not to judge people coming through the door because branches don't prune branches. 
Our responsibility is to get them joined to Jesus as quick as we can and then pastor what the Holy Spirit begins to do in them. Again, we're back to the subject of behavior modification versus transformation. But behavior modification will produce a hypocrite that lives one way for others to see. Transformation is when you're changed from the inside out. When I walked in church, I was pretty messed up. I tell you, I was pretty messed up. Didn't happen overnight. But that church, I encountered Jesus. I encountered the presence of God. In that moment, my life was broken off from an old life Um, a life that was joined to Satan. His nature was very much mine. I never used to have to wake up and make myself sin. It came naturally because of the nature that was in me. But Jesus broke me off in new birth, joined me to himself, and suddenly his life began to spurt through the branch of who I was. And that's what changed any confusion in me and brought what would be not religious order but godly order to my life. So I think our responsibility is to be leading people into a good seal of relationship with the vine that's Jesus and then pastoring what the Holy Spirit's doing. Interesting the way you're sharing that because there are all sorts of uh, ethical issues being debated in our parliaments around the nation, all sorts of reparative therapies and things like that uh, for people who come from a different gender, uh, that uh, they are saying that they're from a different gender. But what you're saying is here, uh, what sort of therapy we're most interested in is what God is doing through the individual. Take that example of the vine because if you become attached to the to the vine you become attached to the divine uh, and it's his life that comes into mm. you and change happens because the sap of god yeah. is actually working in you and uh, and so you're yeah. going to be changing because you're connected to the vine our church mission statement uh, has remained the same when we first opened family church it was called abide in the vine family church because it was my key revelation and then it was only one day when a next door neighbor saw a t-shirt with abide in the vine and a bunch of grapes he said to me oh i'm a part of a wine testing club too i thought <laughs> i need to change this this so we went to the family church but my mission statement has always been wonderfully simple break them off graft them in and teach them how to suck sap that's it because I believe that's what Romans 11, the book of Romans, teaches us. There's an old life, a new life, a new beginning, a new birth experience. We've got a guy called Sean that came to our church. And I love stories of transformation now. I love them. Sean came in through the door, 17 years old, messed up, been in an abusive home, been exposed to everything. The night before he was in the prison cell or the police cell, he was a racist. He was a Nazi. He'd smashed his head open and blood done uh, swastikas on the wall. Um, he went down our high street with a knife to hurt someone. In his insanity, he said, this isn't right. Went home, jumped out of a second-story window. The kid was only 17 years old. He walked in the family church and walked into the presence of God, and something was disrupted. Now, Sean is one of my assistant pastors. He's over all of our discipleship, and he's married to a lady from Ghana. God will redeem everything. Now, that didn't happen overnight, but there was a transformation that began that continues to happen until we see him face to face. And those things are what we would even term miraculous. Yeah. Those are the things we can't really explain because as much as we try to make people think the same way that we do, uh, that would only be some form of uniformitarianism that we actually just make everybody uniform and think like we do. But this is the very powerful and even miraculous thing is that when people become connected into the vine, it's God who does the transformation because, coming back to what we were saying earlier, it's God who's building his kingdom. Mm. Uh, We're just here 
on the ride with him hand in hand in the process. Yeah, I had a young lady come into church a few weeks back and uh, she came in, lovely young lady, and I went up and introduced myself and she introduced herself this way. Hi, I'm a lesbian. I said, hey, I'm Andy, you know, um, and I said, come on into the service. And she came into the presence of God and something something happened in that meeting. Four weeks later, she said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, sure. She said, why am I not happy on the inside of me with things that I thought once were normal and I was happy with? No one had judged her, Neil. No one had condemned her. But the life of the vine was beginning now, as it did in me, as it did in you, to bring what God thinks is correct into any area of our life, financial, physical, sexual. Um, we've got to believe more in what new birth is. New birth is different to church attendance. Let's talk about new birth, because I know this is the topic of your latest book called Breathe Again and how people can experience the life of God here on earth. And sometimes we play down this idea of the new birth as just that time when we went forward at a crusade or we made some sort of a decision to follow Jesus and uh, and uh, that was what everybody called us to do and we did that. Some people have a wonderful encounter or a wonderful, amazing experience. Others, they go through a process and sometimes can forget just how powerful and important that is. When you think of the new birth and the way we ought to think clearly about that as Christian believers, reflecting on that time in our life when we first believed or when we first made that decision to be serious with our faith, how do you describe that in importance uh, for the believer? It's the moment where we became spiritually alive, that we were living in a spiritual death, though we were, were there body and soul, the spiritual aspect of who we were, that we were created to be in Adam. Um, was dormant. It, it, it wasn't connected to the umbilical cord of who God was. It was like Adam was made and he had this umbilical cord to the very life of God. Fellowship means the sharing of life. Adam had fellowship with God, which meant God's life was his life. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit with the Lord. Then obviously through the disobedience, we all know the story of Genesis, there's a separation, a cutting off. And instantly you see Adam panting the breath of mere existence rather than living and sharing the life of God. Good news is 2,000 years ago, the last Adam came and he rejoins a person that comes through faith in Christ back to the life of God, where they become spiritually alive. My book, um, Breathe Again, the cover is very interesting. On one side, it's like a lung made out of trees. On one side, it's dead wood. On the other side, it's flourishing green leaves. To me, that's the old creation and the new creation. The difference is new birth, that we were born dead in Adam spiritually. We come alive to the life of God in and through Christ. So when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you know, hey, you want the kingdom and all that stuff, you've got to be born again. New birth is exactly what is said on the tin. It's a new birth. Nicodemus tries to get his head around that and says, how do I go back into my mum's my, my womb? My mum wouldn't let me if it was possible, you know. And, uh, and he said, no, no, you've got it. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. We need to see people born of spirit. And when they are, it's like the angel at the door of Eden steps aside and we come back into an Eden now type life where we know God like Adam was first made to know without the fig leaves. Um, my book covers a lot of this, Neil, because I think one of the things that's absent from the modern church is just good understanding on basic theology. Theology is simply the study of God. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. We need to know in our hearts. One verse that I always love preaching, it's like a riddle by the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2. He says, 
let the man who says he knows, let him know he doesn't know as he ought. It's like a fortune cookie moment, you know. But the reality is a load of us are running around saying, I know this, I know this. Do we know as we ought? Are we living in the good of what we know? Because if we know we've been born again of the Spirit, that should affect everything about how we live. Let's get a little bit, uh, you know, Aussies love fair play. We have a real spirit of uh, egalitarianism. Uh, You're not better than me. And yet we have this sort of idea that somehow or other, if you know more, then you must be more valuable. But come back to this relationship here, because no doubt this is so important, because when we do connect into the vine mm. when we're connected to God as you say it's a little bit like that umbilical cl- that umbilical cord that Adam uh, you know connected yeah. to God uh, but somehow we can feel as though we need to be observing the book of rules yeah. uh, and uh, people look at the Bible as the book of rules and sometimes that might not be a great way to think of that, that as uh, quite so clearly because what we are doing is we are aligning with a person so it's different to yeah. learning rules and being like my hero. Uh, give us some insights yeah. in here as to as to how this transformation begins to happen and and uh, and this alignment with who yeah. who God is. I mean, firstly, we need to understand much to the dismay of some Christians. We're not Jews; we're Gentiles. Now, there's one new family made out of Jews and Gentiles. There's one family that belongs to God. Many Christians I meet are trying to live by rules that were given to Jewish people not to Gentile people. We weren't included until into the book of Acts. What we were brought into was a new covenant based upon what he's done. Many Christians try and live in the grey area of black and white. It's like the Bible recognises the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. We make a grey one so we can enjoy the best of both worlds. That's what a lot of Christians do with first covenant and second covenant, old covenant and new covenant. We need to be true to the covenant that was established by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross we were brought into that covenant by faith now the language of the old covenant was do 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 the language of a new covenant is it's done it's done it's done now i believe that the law is good it displays what god believes to be correct but keeping the law in our own energy is impossible the law was only meant to lead us to christ a place of inability where we said i need a savior right but when god comes to live inside of you suddenly his ways are written on your heart And it's natural for you to live what's now written on your heart rather than written on the page. Okay, we're running out of time, not too much time left. Let's just quickly, because we're talking about getting things clear. Uh, The year 2020, seeing things in a clearer way, uh, you know, getting through some of those things are distorted. It might be worth just mentioning some of the books that you've written because listeners might want to get a hold of one or two when they hear the way you so succinctly and so clearly are able to communicate these differences. And and when we talk about those sorts of contrasts, uh, you've got a wonderful way of communicating. We mentioned your latest book is called Breathe Again, and that's about experiencing the life of God here on earth. You mentioned another one, uh, God's blueprint for his church, because as we've been talking about, the things that we are orientated around in our local church uh, may not be giving us the fullness of an idea of what's happening in the kingdom. Uh, so let's quickly, very quickly, like in a nutshell, you haven't got a lot of time to sell your book here, but God's blueprint for his church, what does that clear up for us? Okay, 2,000 years ago, Jesus put a blueprint on the table saying, I will build my church. And he gave us very, very clear ideas of what he wanted that building to look like, not the physical building, but the people, the church. 
I think over the last few years, especially the last 20, we've laid a lot of blueprints over that with what we think is iconic. We've concentrated on conservatories and summer rooms. And God wants to strip that back and say, are you building the main building of what I want? Are you concentrating on the Great Commission, making disciples the place of the Holy Spirit in the modern church? So God's blueprint for his church is a call back to a primitive church. Again, we don't become Jewish. We don't get Jewish medleys. We don't. It's coming back to the DNA of a church that was God open to be a church, not just in Israel, but around the world. So it's really a practical look at are we living true to the blueprint of Jesus for his church or are we living by ones and building by ones that we've built? Another one of your books, uh, just to set the pace on that, uh, you started out with a church, just 12 people, and that's grown into uh, 10 churches uh, that are a part of your network, seven of those in the UK around the Portsmouth area, you've got three in the Philippines, so we're talking uh, not only the UK, but a missional focus too on uh, on the Philippines. You wrote a book called The Glass of Water, and in there you have insights for the senior leaders of a church, because clearly if our leaders have got a crystal clear way of moving forward, mm. uh, then that's going to be the benefit for the rest of us. So you like to speak into the life of pastors. Yeah, hey, we're, we're working, all working full on to open new churches, but we're not working to stop churches closing. And often churches will close because a pastor feels unsupported, uncelebrated, and people don't know what it's like to be him. So on the back of the book, I wrote this simple thing that's provocative. Most pastors would love to write a book for their leadership teams called How I Would Serve Me If I Was You. Now, again, some people have just got enraged with me, but it's intriguing. And I open it up to be what is it to be a pastor so that we can bring through David's mighty men and leaders that want to be mighty men in the church. The church needs mighty men and women. So for people who might be aspiring to some level of leadership role in the church, that's a good one to get a hold of. Another one you wrote is I Am Redemption. Uh, Look at the power of redemption. Very quick. Yep. Redemption is a key word in what we believe. We've got to understand redemption is the purchasing back of that which was lost. We need to know that we've been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we're to be the redeemed that say so. Evangelism. And you wrote a two-volume set, and it's a devotional uh, volume, uh, two volumes, Breakfast of Champions. Uh, What sort of things do you communicate as people are opening a devotional each day? Again, I often say when I'm pushing this book, I said, hey, if my teaching has irritated you, Get Breakfast of Champions and let me irritate you in the comfort of your own home. It's a devotional (laughs) book where Monday to Friday we look at key subjects to do with everyday life. I left school with no education, yet God called me an author, and I'm amazed that that I am an author. Now, in the devotional books, I write in the way that we've been talking today. It's to encourage people to be thinking God in their everyday lives. So Breakfast of Champions have gone viral. They've gone around the world. I've been amazed uh, uh, breakfast of champions how people are saying yeah i want a simple thought to help me think god throughout the day that's what we provide with breakfast of champions let's talk about if we can just in these remaining few minutes the idea of adjusting your thinking adjusting your life and sometimes we're bound because we've got a spouse, we've got a family, there are all those pressures on us, we've got a career. Somehow or other, it's easier to go along with the flow we feel than it is to make the sorts of adjustments we've been talking about over this past hour. What would be the benefit 
to someone who says, I'm going to break away from what I've always done. I've always done things on my own, in my own strength. I've always just sought to survive in the circumstance around me. How do I break out of that and go along with what Andy's talking about, having a kingdom mentality, having something deeper and bigger and more fulfilling than I've ever experienced before? Hey, I think the fundamental question is very offensive, or the answer is very offensive. We forget that the Bible says your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. Too many Christians still own their own life. They don't realize it's no longer us that live, but Christ and his will that now lives through us. Again, some people sing that on church on two hours on Sunday. But you begin to live that. It's life-shaping, life-changing. So I think it begins with us going, my life no longer belongs to me. My old man was crucified. That one belonged to me. This one belongs to him. And I'm going to lay hold of the life he laid hold of for me to get. And then it's just purpose in Lord, no longer my will. See, too many Christians, the problem with a lot of Christians, they care too much about how they feel. I don't feel like doing this. No one's asking you how you feel. People are asking you to live true to the word of God and the heart of God. When we cross over from feelings to being obedient, that's when God breaks out in us and through us. Well, great clarity today with our special guest, Andy Elms. I mentioned there's a number of books that Andy has written. Well, you might be wondering, how do I get a hold of those? Or is there a website? I can find out a little more and uh, connect in some way with Andy because he's speaking some great common sense ways that I could get connected into the vine, how I could be living with the life of God flowing through me. Well, there's a few websites I'll quickly mention if you wanted to jot those down. One is called greatbiglife.co.uk, greatbiglife.co.uk. Co.uk. Uh, the church movement that Andy leads is called Family Church, just simply family.church. So www.family.church. And there is a program that you present too called Talking Church. Uh, just very quickly on yeah. Talking Church, that's something that people can access online? Well, yeah, it's online, free, uh, online at talking.church. And it's me sitting down with some of my pastors and other guests taking subjects to do with church and opening them up to understand the why behind the what. Talking.church. Very so, easy watching now. Very yes. easy watching. Greatbiglife.co.uk, family.church and talking.church. Andy Elms, who's the senior pastor of Family Church, been our guest over this past hour talking about distortion. I think if we were coming back to that Facebook question, who needs to have distorted vision corrected most? Is it Christians or non-Christians? I think we're both going to agree, both. Absolutely. Both Christians and non-Christians. We need to have the distortions clear. And the only way that happens is by having relationship with the Creator Himself, having a God's eye view of what's happening. And we'll have a much, much better view than the ant's view uh, that is underneath us. Andy, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with thanks us today on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.